and welcome once again to our Lord's Community Church. Uh, as Brad mentioned in the beginning of the service, if you're new and visiting with us, I wanted to say welcome. We're so glad to have you. Uh, don't forget we have a connect card. You can say hi and tell us about yourself. We would love to hear from you. I just have a couple of announcements uh, to, to kind of keep you in the know of what's going on here. First of all, coming up on August, Wednesday night, August 15th, our Lord's has the great privilege to partner with Bridgeway Church and Crestwood Vineyard Church at a women's event. It's a special one-time women's evening. Uh, it's called Dream Big, and it's featuring Caroline Hawley. She's from King's Armed Church. Some of you may remember Simon Holly was here a couple of years back. This is Simon's wife. And um, I would encourage all of the women in the room and even your friends that are not here and family members, try to come to this event. You will not regret it. Again, Wednesday, August 15th, it's from 7 to 10 p.m., not here, but at Bridgeway Church. Um, next, I wanted to point your attention. We do have baptisms coming up. They will be happening on Sunday, August the 12th. If you have not been baptized or maybe one of your children or someone you love and you are interested in that, please contact Carolyn McHenry. She is on staff here, and her email is cmchenry at olcc.org. Uh, I did want to point you one last time to the bulletin. Um, at the bottom, there is an announcement for the John Marshall Teacher Appreciation Lunch. I'm not going to read the details to you, but I encourage you to read them and help participate in honoring the teachers and staff from John Marshall. Connie's going to come up and tell us about All Saints. Good morning. We've been talking to you for probably eight or nine months now about All Saints Center for Theology, Spirituality, and Leadership. And we're really excited because our courses start in just about a month on August 20th. So if you've been thinking, I think I might be interested in doing that, this is your time to actually enroll and sign up. Our first course is Biblical Studies, and it's followed by Church History and then Spirituality and Formation. And the courses, you can take them all three or you can sign up for them individually. If you'd like to find information, there's a program overview that you can find on the table directly opposite the doors out back. Or you can find it at our website, which is allsaints.center. Or just find Brock or me and ask us questions because we'd love to answer them. I'm about halfway personally through reading the um, reading assignments for the first course on um, biblical studies, and I have been surprised at how happily hungry it has made me for the Bible. And that's without even getting to discuss it with all of you who are going to be there. So if you've been thinking about it, this is the time to act on it. Thank you, Connie. I know Connie and Brock have been prayerfully planning this for a while, and I would really encourage you to pray through whether you would participate. Okay, that's it for announcements. Brock's up. Good morning. I use the handheld mic, unlike the Janet Jackson microphone. I like the old school, let's hold this. All right, Esther, you weren't planning on this, so I'm going to ask you and Guinea to come up here if you don't mind. I want us to take a moment to pray for this beloved brother who's in Albania. Would that be all right? 
It's not all right. So what I'm going to ask some of you do, uh, Guinea, if you'll stand right here, and I'm going to ask some people to come up and encircle Guinea, and I want us to lay hands on him and pray for him, and then I'm going to ask Esther to pray over him. So some of you will hop up out of your chairs, and let's come and lay hands on, on Guinea. Um, he's involved in church planting in Albania and has been for how many years? 25 years. And so we as a church family want to surround him with our hands, with our hearts, with prayer, and pray for him that God would encourage him, encourage his soul, encourage his team, and bless his efforts in Albania, a country that tried to extinguish the gospel and it didn't go so well. So why don't you just pray here and you can extend your hand and pray for Guinea and then I'm going to have Esther pray, bring us all together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the mantle of evangelism on Guinea. I thank you for the fruit of your kingdom through him and his family. I thank you for your faithfulness through him. I thank you for protecting him. I thank you for the church that have been planted through he and his family. I thank you for the boldness. I thank you for him spending time last night with my Albanian friends sharing the gospel. Your kingdom come, your will be done through Guinea. Lord, I thank you that you are in the waiting, and I ask that you provide for he and his family in every way, that you organize every step that they are to take, that you go before them and prepare a way, that you show him, uh, he and his family, where to go, that you unify them, you protect them from evil, lead them away from temptation. Your kingdom come, your will be done in and on and through Guinea and his family. Protect his children. Protect his Sony, his sweet wife. Fill them up. I ask for more intimacy with you. I ask for some anointing from my daddy's preaching on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Guinea, for your faithful service, brother. Bless you. May you leave encouraged. I think it's important for us to see we come together, here we are in Oklahoma City, and we worship and we pray, we gather together, and the natural outgrowth of that is mission, isn't it? The Lord comes and sets us on fire and sends us out, and the truth is we're all missionaries. He happens to be in Albania, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if no one's ever told you this, I'm telling you this today, you are a missionary. And so it's a matter of waking up to that fact and discovering, hey, where's my mission field? I'm a teacher, that's my mission field. Um, I'm a parent at home, other parents that I get to hang out with, that's my mission field. I'm a business person, that's your mission field. So the Lord wants us to recognize that, that we're called and empowered and set on fire to go and share the love of Jesus. and. Watch what, what he can do. Beautiful thing. 
On that note, I want us to talk about prayer. Uh, These days, I can't get away from prayer. I keep saying, Father, what's on your heart? What's on your heart for our Lord's? And I keep hearing over and over again, prayer, pray, pray, pray. So today I want us to talk about prayer, and I want to look at prayer in particular as communion with the Trinity. So some of you, I may have already lost you there. You think, oh my gosh, the Trinity. Um, I'm going to actually show that the Trinity is not a, an abstract doctrine, but it's actually very practical. It's the essence of the Christian faith, isn't it? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it infuses all that we do, all that we are, part of our worship. So today we're going to look at prayer, communion, friendship, intimacy with the triune God. Um, I I just want to start by saying um, I'm no expert in prayer. I'm desperate. And maybe that's why I can't get away from prayer is because I'm desperate. And I'm sure that I'm among some desperate people, right? And so when I ask God, what, what's on your heart? What's on your heart for the church? What's on your heart for me? I think I keep coming to this because I can't get away from it. And we are, as I mentioned last time, we're praying creatures, right? Um, I was in the academy. I was in academics. And I tell you, they do everything they can to rob faith from people oftentimes in academic circles. I read agnostic, atheistic literature, everything that could undermine and deconstruct my faith. In those moments, I'm teaching on Freud or Karl Marx or someone else, really compelling arguments against God, against prayer. I found myself reduced to prayer, almost like a wash rag. I pictured myself at times, 12 years in the academic context, I was like a wash rag, just wrung out completely, but I found a little drop of prayer coming out in those moments. And I found in those moments, no matter how compelling the arguments are against God, there is no personal God. God does not hear, it's a fantasy. Freud would talk about it's a projection of our own desires and wishes. Karl Marx says that religion itself is an opioid, it's an opiate. It's like a hit off a crack pipe to escape. You know what? They're full of it. We are praying creatures. There is no way to get around this. And there is, there's some cliches, some phrases that are said. There's no atheists in foxholes, friends. When we are in the foxholes of life, when you're in dire places, there's nothing you can do about the darkness in your own heart or the darkness in a loved one's heart or a dire situation, we're reduced to prayer, right? We cannot get away from it. So I want to talk this morning in that context, desperation for God, communion with the Trinity, and again, I'm with you in the thick of it. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, and in many ways I feel like I've been born again again over the last few years, um, rediscovering what prayer is, how to relate to God, um, coming to God deconstructed and broken and needing to relearn like a child again. So in that spirit, let's talk for a few minutes here about prayer as communion or intimate friendship with 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to start with a quote by one of my favorite writers. He's got a strange name. Um, He's uh, a Russian writer named Theophon, and he was writing in the 19th century, and he was a man of prayer. And listen to what he says about prayer. Theophon says, prayer is the root of everything. Prayer is the test of everything. Prayer is the source of everything. Prayer is the driving force of everything. Prayer is the director of everything. So we hear this brother saying that without prayer, we don't have much. And really, at its essence, prayer is calling out to God, saying we don't have what we need. We need you. We need your presence. We need your power. If you're interested in reading a little bit, this is one of my favorite books on prayer. It's called The Art of Prayer, and it's an Eastern Orthodox anthology, so it's some of our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters that have been writing on prayer for hundreds of years. You can get this on Amazon, and it's uh, got an introduction by Timothy Ware, who's a fantastic theologian and man of prayer, who's actually committed to dialogue between the Eastern Orthodox Christians and between evangelicals. One day we hope to have a, a conference along, along this line, but The Art of Prayer, wonderful book there. You can get it on Amazon. So today we're looking at prayer and we're seeing that it is the calling, it's the lifeline, it's the secret power of all that we are and all that we do for the whole church and for us individually. Notice I'm talking about prayer as communion with the Trinity, with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but at different times, different seasons of life, I have trouble even knowing who I'm praying to. Anyone else? I mean, I throw it all in the mix. So I'm like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or I'm praying to the Father, and the next thing I know, I'm... So I want us to be very deliberate and intentional about praying in a Trinitarian fashion, right? And I'm inviting you into this afresh, to pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. This is nothing novel. It's not new. It's biblical, right? We see Jesus in Matthew 28. He tells us to go and make disciples of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So from the beginning, we are Trinitarian people, but I think sometimes this gets lost in prayer. Would you agree? And again, as someone who has struggled deeply with prayer, and deeply with my own faith, there are times, uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, um, I've had trouble praying, period. Amanda and I went through a desert season, and for several years, about four years, I had trouble praying out loud. You know why? Because I was wrestling at the core of who I was with God. God, you even here. Are you there? I've been doing this for 25 years. There's lots of times... I just don't even think you're there. So again, I am reminding myself in this season, along with all of us, to come into the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyone who tells you that prayer is not hard work is not telling you the truth, right? If there were a book, you know, 21 Steps to Mastering Prayer in Six Months, I would read it. I haven't been able to find it. I've been searching. If someone said, hey, here's a couple supplements, you take these supplements, um, mix it with a Red Bull, 
do this for nine months every morning. Here, here, here it is right here. Or there's five minutes a day, this simple solution to grow in prayer. I've tried a lot of tricks, and you know what it comes down to? Hard work. Sorry, but that, but that is true. If you want to grow in prayer, we're going to see over the next few minutes here that it does. It involves diligent hard work, not unlike getting in shape physically, right? So if someone tells you, uh, hey, it's, it's time to get in shape, time to get healthy, time to shed some of those Christmas pounds, whatever it is, there really is no easy, easy way to do that other than diligent, persevering hard work, and the same is true for prayer. So I want us to look at, at three things here briefly, each one related to the person of the Holy Trinity, right? The first is that when we pray, we are praying to a father full of love. If that is not the driving theme and the driving object of our prayer, then we're misguided. So the first thing is that we are praying to a loving father who hears and answers. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to get the answer we want, or as we were singing together this morning, there's a lot of waiting, isn't there, in prayer. You may pray and wait weeks, months, years before you see anything happen. Amanda and I were talking last night on a walk, both of us talking about our own struggle with prayer. Disappointments we have, unanswered prayer, sickness that doesn't go away, and we were concluding maybe prayer oftentimes is about us, changing us in the process. So it's not like we're trying to wrench the arm of God and tug on a busy God's coat to get his attention. Maybe we change in the process much of the time. Maybe that's what happens, and God is ready to give. God is ready to answer. But a reality of prayer is that it takes time, and it takes work, and God knows best, right? In the end, God knows best. Um, if you have your Bible, you can look it up on your phone. I want to look at a passage here about a loving father, full of love, who hears and answers prayer. This is a 1 John 3.1, so toward the end of your Bible there, right before the final book, Revelation, 1 John 3, 1. The Apostle John is describing a father full of love, the very God that we pray to. And listen to what the Apostle John says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So, we see the identity of God is a loving Father who pours out, bestows, lavishes love on us. God is an ocean of love and has oceans of love to pour out on us. Not a stingy, mean God, but a God who is lavish, who is gracious. This is the God that we have the opportunity to pray to and Related to that, what does the text say here? We're children of this God. And the Apostle John says that is what we are. So in prayer, we're coming into the presence of a loving God who is lavish and extravagant and pouring out oceans, waterfalls of love over us, and it changes who we are. 
If we do this regularly, a little bit each day, month in, month out, year in, year out, we begin to realize we are beloved children and life can be going really difficult and yet we're loved by God. We can endure, we can persist. Another verse here on the notion of a father being full of love. Actually, I intentionally found this in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, 6. So it's the second book in the Bible here, the second book in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, Exodus 34, 6. And frankly, sometimes there's a misunderstanding. Some people will say, wow, the New Testament God sure seems to be a loving father and He's the God and Father of Jesus, but man, that Old Testament God at times, ooh, what a mean God. And that was actually an early church heresy in the first century, and it's a misreading of Scripture. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jesus is the same God and is good and full of love from the beginning of the biblical narrative. So Exodus 34, 6, a little bit of context here, Moses has walked with God for many, many years. And he has cried out to God and he's seen some answered prayer and some answered, unanswered prayer, some answered prayer. And he's having this moment. He's leading God's people and he says, Lord, I want to see your glory. He's seen it many times, but there's something that hungers and thirsts inside of him to see more. And he says, God, show me your glory. And so the Lord responds to him and says, I'm going to allow you, I'm going to hide you over here in a little cleft in the rock and I'm going to pass by you and you're going to encounter me and my glory. And this is what happens in the story here. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passes before Moses and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And so from the very beginning of the story here, we see that God is a God of lavish love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God who never tires of you and me coming into his presence and saying, I blew it again. I know I did better yesterday, but today I blew it. I blew up at my wife. I tore into a friend. I've got jealousy again and anger. And you know what? The Lord never tires. The Lord looks at us and says, I love you. How about some lavish love? I forgive you. You ask for it. I freely give it. And that changes us. And so what we're doing each day is reminding ourselves, preaching to our own heart from these biblical texts, the kind of God that we love and serve and who's ready to hear and answer prayer. Related to this, we're we're created with a God hunger, each of us. And there is nothing else that will satisfy other than what we're talking about today, right here. The idea of coming into the presence of the Father, your creator, your maker, and encountering time and time again the love, the grace, the mercy, the tenderness, the persistent faithfulness of God. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from St. Augustine, he's a great church father in the fourth and fifth century. He was someone who spent many years of his life all over Europe uh, looking, he had multiple lovers and he had some fame and 
He was known as a great professor and he had great knowledge and explored different realms of philosophy. And at the end of it, you know what his conclusion was? I'm miserable. I've got it all. And this is one of my favorite quotes from St. Augustine. He writes this in his Confessions to God where he pours out his heart to God for hundreds of pages. And he says, Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So we're created with this God hunger, this divine restlessness, and the only place where that can be satisfied is coming into the presence of God, saying, Father, fill me again. I need you. I long for you. You can try to fill it with numerous things. Nothing is going to satisfy like the love of the Father, the love of your maker. A second thing I want us to look at here communion with the Trinity is to look at Jesus as someone who lives to intercede and pray for us. Now before this blows right by you and you think, ah, I've heard that, sounds like a great Mardell magnet, Jesus living to make intercession for us, I want you to ponder with me for a moment here the reality of this. The resurrected Jesus conquered death, lives to pray for you and me. That can reframe the whole way that we understand prayer. Rather than it's all on us to muster up, I've got to pray, I really don't want to, I'm not even sure I believe this works. The Son of God is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you, for us collectively. It changes the game. We actually get to join in the intercession of the Son who lives with the power of an indestructible life. Look at a text here, Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, talks about the son who lives to intercede for us. Incredibly powerful. Hebrews seven, 25. We actually don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's some, some guesses, but we do know that it's an amazing New Testament book that talks much about Jesus surpassing all of the, the shadows that, that point to the coming Messiah. So here in chapter 7, what's happening, the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is superior to all of the sacrificial system. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the whole Old Testament priesthood. And it says at 725 here of Hebrews, Consequently, Jesus is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus, able to save us for all time as we approach God through him. So there's even some Trinitarian dynamic worked into this in prayer. We see an example of this in Luke 22. You probably remember where Simon Peter, who has said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go wherever you, you lead. I'm, I'm with you 100%. What does he do? Great example of our own human nature. He turns around and denies Jesus. And Jesus says, to Peter in Luke 22:31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers and sisters. 
So Jesus prayed for Simon Peter in all of his weakness, his denial of Jesus, all of these things. And what ends up happening? He turns from a Christ denier, a wimp of faith, into an apostle who makes history, who changes history. So the intercession of the Son of God on our behalf is powerful. Very quickly here, and then we're going to transition to the last point here. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Apostle Paul is talking about life in the Holy Spirit, life in Christ. And he says that Romans 8, 26 and 27, who can condemn us? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, what? Intercedes for us. So we see again another example in the New Testament of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, interceding, pleading on our behalf. I can imagine, this is imaginary here, it's not in the text, but there are days when Jesus is there with the Father, they're looking at me, they're looking at you, and Jesus is full of delight. Here we are, groveling, blowing it again, ensnared in the same sin, being mean to other people, whatever it is, and Jesus is looking, saying, can you believe, do you see that little flicker of love in her heart, in his heart? Father, it's amazing, more grace for her, more love, more affection. This interaction between the Father and the Son over us washes over our, our lives. It's not some abstract doctrine, but it's actually Jesus pleading on our behalf, delighting in who we are, the Father and the Son together. You've heard me talk about the Jesus prayer, haven't you? Ten words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And it's a prayer that's been prayed really since the Gospels. It's found in the Gospels, and then the church for 2,000 years has prayed this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Think about when you pray that you're joining Jesus in his prayer and intercession. There have been times where I don't know what else to pray, and I would in my mind picture Jesus praying for this person. And I'm joining that picture, that scene, and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on this person. Maybe a wayward child, maybe uh, a loved one, it may be someone that you've been pleading with for many years, but in that moment, you're joining the intercession of Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on this person that I'm praying for. Thirdly, in communing with the Holy Trinity, we are interacting with the Spirit who indwells and prays through us. Let's look back at Romans 8, where I was mentioning life in the Holy Spirit and life in Christ. This is a, an incredibly rich passage, which I'll come back to in a moment and make a recommendation for you this week. But in Romans 8, a central theme is life in the Holy Spirit, life with the Holy Spirit. Some of the things that are talked about in Romans 8, 1 through 39 the Holy Spirit indwells us, enables us to overcome sin, enables us to please God, to relate to God as Abba, Father. 
The Holy Spirit guides, helps us pray, helps us live victorious lives. And look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. Very interesting here. I think it's actually verse 34. Um, Jesus is the great interceder for us, but look at what it says about the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So not only are we praying to a Father full of love, and the Son who lives in resurrection power to intercede for us, but we're praying in and with and energized by the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. If you look at that word, it's the same word. As Jesus intercedes, so does his Spirit who lives within us. It's the same Greek term there. And it's a picturesque Greek word that means rescue, basically. So the Holy Spirit rescues us. The Holy Spirit can pray through us when we don't have anything else to pray. Like you, you may have those wash rag moments where your life is wringing you out and you're not even sure if there's one little drop in there. That is when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I will give you words. It may be groaning, maybe praying in the Holy Spirit, maybe praying in tongues, but there is more prayer. To be had. The Holy Spirit can energize us in our weakest moments. And it's perfect prayer, isn't it? If it's God, the Holy Spirit, praying in us and through us, you can be sure that it's the kind of prayer that the Father and the Son hear and move on. I'm going to talk about this next week, communion with, fellowship with the Holy Spirit in particular, because it really is a an amazing secret of prayer is communion with the Holy Spirit, and many of us aren't familiar with that. Some of us are, and we can always revisit it. But I would encourage you to take passages like Romans 8 and pray not only to the Father and the Son, but to pray to the Holy Spirit and say things like, Holy Spirit, you indwell me. I am yours. Empower me to pray. Some of these arrow prayers Small prayers like that. So to conclude here, before we take communion, I'm inviting us individually and corporately to grow in the knowledge of God, to pray in a Trinitarian way, to have a Trinitarian vision of prayer so that the Trinity moves from the pages of some theological book into our own life experience so that we're actually invoking and entering into the Trinitarian community when, when we pray. And we'll find that the deeper our theological understanding, the deeper our knowledge of the Word of God, our deeper knowledge and experience of who God is, it will fuel our prayer. You found that to be true, haven't you? The more that you're in Scripture, the, the easier and more powerful prayer can become. So this week, I want to invite you to take some of these passages that we've looked at here from 1 John and Exodus and Hebrews and Romans 8, and I want to invite you to pray 
in a Trinitarian way. If you take Romans 8 alone, those 39 verses there, and you take a verse or two a day and chew on it, it will transform your prayer experience. You'll, you'll find yourself, rather than your thoughts wandering here or there or going and mulling over the same tapes over and over again, you will actually find your heart wandering toward the Lord and communing with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. So take Romans 8 and ask the Lord to teach you about Trinitarian prayer. So Lord, this morning as we turn to you in communion, the Lord's Supper, we ask you to teach us like little children to show us more about who you are, a loving Father. Show us more about yourself, Jesus, as the one who lives to pray for us. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to open the mystery of your indwelling and the fact that you pray in us and through us. Teach us to pray, Lord. Amen.